Chapter Three, Part One of the Legends of Genesis by Hermann Gunkel, translated by W. H. Carl. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Three, The Literary Form of the Legends. The beauty of the legends of Genesis has always been a source of delight to readers of refined taste, and it is not mere chance that painters have been so fond of choosing the subjects of their work from Genesis. Scholars have more rarely expressed appreciation of the beauty of these narratives, often because for personal reasons, and perhaps often because the aesthetic point of view seemed to them incompatible with the dignity of science. However, we do not share this prejudice, but, on the contrary, are of the opinion that one who ignores the artistic form of these legends not only deprives himself of a great pleasure, but is unable properly to satisfy the scientific demands of the understanding of Genesis. Nay, more, it is no insignificant question for science to answer in what the peculiar beauty of the legends consist, a problem whose solution requires a thorough investigation of the contents and the religion of Genesis. Genesis is prose. The first question is whether the form of the diction is prose or poetry. Aside from Genesis 49, which is a poem and not a narrative, and on that ground alone is out of place in Genesis, all that the book contains is prose in form. Detailed investigations of the nature of this prose have not been carried on. Meanwhile, at least this may be said, that the prose is not the common colloquial language of everyday life, but is more artistic in its composition, and has some sort of rhythmical construction. Hebrew prosody is still a sealed book to us, but in reading Genesis aloud, one feels an agreeable harmony of rhythmically balanced members. The translator of Genesis is constrained to imitate this balancing of sentences. Since the legends were already very old when they were written down, as will be shown hereafter, it is a matter of course that the language of Genesis is somewhat archaic. This too must be reproduced in the translation. In certain passages, the climaxes of the stories, the language rises into poetry, as is the case with the German Marken, where the spells and charms are in poetic form. In the case of some of the legends, we know variants, both biblical and extra-biblical, notably of the stories of creation, of the Garden of Eden and of the Flood, which are in strictly metrical form. Inasmuch as these poetical variants are known to be older than the prose versions transmitted in Genesis, we are warranted in the conjecture that the poetic form of these legends is older than any prose form whatever. The older and strictly rhythmical form, which we must suppose to have been sung, would differ from the latter prose form which was recited, as does the ancient German epic from the latter Volksbuch, 
or book of popular legends or as do the arthurian poems of christian of troyes from the prose versions of mallory's mortaid arthur or the welsh mabinogion genesis a folk book a second question is whether these poetical versions are popular traditions or the productions of individual poets modern investigators have answered the general principle of the question to the effect that genesis is popular oral tradition written down we are able to explain clearly how such popular traditions originate of course in the ultimate beginning it was always an individual who improvised or devised this or that poem but it is characteristic of such popular traditions that we are never able to observe them in the germ any more than we can in the case of language but that they appear wherever we hear of them as primitive possessions inherited from the patriarchs between the poet who first conceived them and the time when they were fixed for transmission to posterity a long period elapsed and in this period the legends were repeated from generation to generation and passed through many hands yet however faithfully such legends are transmitted they are inevitably altered in the course of the centuries and thus they finally become the common product of the people this transformation of the legends was unconscious at least in its earlier stages only in the more recent modifications is it reasonable to assume the operation of conscious art both narrators and auditors regarded the legends as true stories that this is true of the legends of the old testament is shown in the historical books of the bible where the narrators proceed by almost imperceptible degrees from legends to genuine historical narratives it follows also from the legends themselves which go about in all seriousness to account for actual conditions because the woman was made from man's rib therefore he longs for union with her here we see that this story was no mere poetical figure to the one who told it but an event that had actually happened and furthermore it is to be expected from the nature of the case legends come from ages and stages of civilization which have not yet acquired the intellectual power to distinguish between poetry and reality it is therefore no slight error when modern investigators declare the legends of paradise to be an allegory which was never intended to represent actual occurrences moreover for the very reason that the legend is the product of the whole people it is the expression of the people's mind and this is a point of greatest importance for our interpretation of the legends of genesis we are warranted in regarding the judgments and sentiments presented in genesis as the common possession of large numbers of people the contents of genesis in primitive form accordingly we should attempt in considering genesis 
to realize first of all the form of its contents when they existed in oral tradition this point of view has been ignored altogether too much hitherto and investigators have instead treated the legendary books too much as books if we desire to understand the legends better we must recall to view the situations in which the legends were recited we hear of such situations exodus chapter twelve verse twenty six and following chapter thirteen verse fourteen and following joshua chapter four verse six when the children ask about the reason of the sacred ceremony then the father answers them by telling the story similarly we can imagine how the story of sodom was told with the dead sea in view and the legend of bethel on the summit of bethel but the common situation which we have to suppose is this in the leisure of a winter evening the family sits about the hearth the grown people but more especially the children listen intently to the beautiful old stories of the dawn of the world which they have heard so often yet never tire of hearing repeated many of the legends as will be shown later have such a marked artistic style that they can scarcely be regarded in this form as products of the collective people on the contrary we must assume that there was in israel as well as among the arabs a class of professional storytellers these popular storytellers familiar with old songs and legends wandered about the country and were probably to be found regularly at the popular festivals we have already seen that the transmitted prose narrative was perhaps preceded by a narrative in regular rhythmical form and intended for singing in the case of these songs the circumstances of their presentation may have been different from the precedent of the babylonian poem of creation which in its form is an easter hymn in praise of marduk we may infer that the legends regarding forms of worship go back to hymns for the sanctuary which were perhaps sung by the priest at the sacred festivals and on the sacred ground but however this may be the legends regarding sanctuaries as we have them now had certainly ceased to be sung and as their peculiarly colourless attitude shows were not connected with the sacred place in this form but belong already to popular tradition the real unit in genesis a new and fundamental question is what unit is really the constituent unit in genesis the one which we should first apply ourselves to for there are a number of different units in genesis the most comprehensive unit is the whole pentateuch then genesis and then the single collections of legends that preceded it then the individual legends of which the book was composed among these a distinction has to be made between the independent individual legends such for example as those of the flight of hagar and the sacrifice of isaac and on the other hand 
certain groups of several legends constituting legend cycles such as the cycle which treats the destinies of abraham and lot down to the birth of their sons or the one comprising jacob's experiences with esau and with laban or the one of which joseph is the hero all of these various units must be considered but the first question is which of these units is most important for our purposes that is which of them was the original unit in oral tradition this is a question that arises in many similar cases which is the elemental unit the song book the individual group of songs in it or the individual song is it the gospel the address or the individual utterance that is reported of jesus the whole apocalypse the separate apocalyptic documentary sources or the individual vision for the proper understanding of genesis also it is of critical importance that this question be clearly met and correctly answered hitherto investigators have seemed to regard it as a matter of course that the original sources were the constituent units though the true view has not been without witnesses popular legends in their very nature exist in the form of individual legends not until later do compilers put several such legends together or poets construct of them greater and artistic compositions thus it is also with the hebrew popular legends the legends of genesis even in their present form give clear evidence of this every single legend that is preserved in an early form is a complete whole by itself it begins with a distinct introduction and ends with a very recognizable close compare certain specific cases abraham wishes to sue for a wife for his son being too old himself he sends out his oldest servant thus the story opens then we are told how the old servant finds the right maiden and brings her home meantime the aged master has died the young master receives the bride and he was comforted for the death of his father everyone can see that the story ends here abraham is directed by god to sacrifice his son this is the exposition from chapter twenty two on which makes an entirely new start then we are told how abraham was resolved upon the deed and very nearly accomplished it but at the last moment the sacrifice was prevented by god himself isaac is preserved to abraham then they returned together to beersheba we see that the narrative always opens in such a way that one recognizes that something new is about to begin and it closes at the point where the complication that has arisen is happily resolved no one can ask what followed similarly the unity of the separate legends is shown in the fact that they are in each case filled with a single harmonious sentiment thus in the story of the sacrifice of isaac emotion is predominant in that of jacob's deception of isaac humor 
in the story of sodom moral earnestness in the story of babel the fear of almighty god many stories are entirely spoiled by following them up immediately with new ones which drive the reader suddenly from one mood to another every skilful storyteller on the contrary makes a pause after telling one such story giving the imagination time to recover allowing the hearer to reflect in quiet on what he has heard while the chords that have been struck are permitted to die away any one for instance who has followed the story of isaac sympathetically feels at the close the need of repose in which to recover from the emotion aroused those stories especially which aim to give a reason for some present condition require a pause at the close so that the hearer may compare the prophecy and its present fulfilment as evidence of this consider the close of the story of eden of the flood or of the drunkenness of noah legend cycles in later times there were formed of these individual legends greater units called legend cycles in which the separate legends are more or less artistically combined but even here it is not at all difficult in most cases to extricate the original constituent elements from one another thus the legend cycle which treats abraham and lot separates clearly into the following stories one the migration of abraham and lot to canaan two their separation at bethel three the theophany at hebron four the destruction of sodom five the birth of ammon and moab six the birth of isaac the legend cycle of jacob esau laban devised clearly into the legends of jacob and esau of jacob and laban the legends of the origin of the twelve tribes with various legends interspersed of the origin of ritual observances in the stories connected with joseph also those of joseph's intercourse with his brothers are clearly distinguished from those of potiphar's wife of pharaoh's dreams and those of the agricultural conditions of egypt genesis chapter forty seven verses thirteen through twenty six this leads to the practical conclusion for the exegete that each individual legend must be interpreted first of all from within the more independent a story is the more sure we may be that it is preserved in its original form and the connection between individual legends is of later origin in many cases if it be not simply an hallucination of the exegete as an example of a primitive legend which is almost wholly without antecedent assumptions take the story of hagar's flight genesis chapter sixteen for which we need to know only that there is a man named abraham with a wife named sarah everything else is told by the legend itself an example of a later narrative is that of the suit for the hand of rebecca chapter twenty four this legend is based upon a whole series of individual elements which belong to other legends as the kinship and migration of abraham 
the promise of Yahweh at the migration, the facts that Isaac was his only son, and the son of his old age, and so forth. Hence, it is the individual legend with which we shall have to deal first in this treatise. Length of Legends What are the limits of such a story? Many of the stories of Genesis extend over scarcely more than ten verses. This is the case with the stories of Noah's drunkenness, of the Tower of Babel, of Abraham's journey to Egypt, of Hagar's flight, or the exile of Ishmael, of the trial of Abraham, of Jacob at Bethel and at Penuel. After these very brief stories, we can group a series of more detailed stories occupying about a chapter, such as the story of Paradise, of Cain's parricide, of the flood, of the theophany at Hebron, of the betrothal of Rebekah, of the fraud perpetrated upon Isaac by Jacob. Finally, the legend cycles exceed this limit of space. This matter of the compass of the legends constitutes a decided distinction between them and our modern productions. Even the most complex legend groups of Genesis, such as that of Joseph, are of very modest extent by modern standards, while the older legends are absolutely abrupt to modern taste. Now, of course, the brief compass of the old legends is at the same time an index of their character. They deal with very simple occurrences, which can be adequately described in a few words and this compass accords also with the artistic ability of the narrator and the comprehension of the hearer. The earliest storytellers were not capable of constructing artistic works of any considerable extent. Neither could they expect their hearers to follow them with undiminished interest for days and even weeks continuously. On the contrary, primitive times were satisfied with quite brief productions, which required not much over half an hour. Then, when the narrative is finished, the imagination of the hearer is satisfied, and his attention exhausted. On the other hand, our narratives show us that later times were no longer satisfied with the very brief stories of primitive construction. A more fully developed aesthetic faculty demands more scope for its expression. Thus, greater compositions arose. This growth in the compass of legends was favored by the circumstance of their being written down. Written productions are naturally more discursive than oral ones, because the eye in reading can more easily grasp larger conceptions than the ear in hearing. Accordingly, this, too, is a measure of the relative age of legends, though a measure which must be used with caution. The briefer a legend, the greater the probability that we have it in its original form. Simplicity and Clearness of Primitive Literary Art The brevity of the legends is, as we have seen, a mark of the poverty of primitive literary art, but at the same time this poverty has its peculiar advantages. The narrow limits within which the narrator moves 
compel him to concentrate his entire poetic power into the smallest compass so that while these creations are small they are also condensed and effective and the moderate grasp which these small works of art have to reckon upon in their hearers results also in making the narratives as clear and synoptic as possible to make this last fact more evident consider in the first place the balance of parts not only the longer of these narratives but especially the briefest also are outlined with extraordinary sharpness thus the story of noah's drunkenness is constructed as follows exposition noah's drunkenness a the occurrences one canaan's shamelessness two the filial respect of shem and japhet b the judgments one concerning canaan two concerning shem and japhet or take the story of the garden of eden chapter three a the sin one the serpent tempts eve two the woman and the man sin three as consequence the loss of their innocence b the examination c the punishments one the curse upon the serpent two upon the woman three upon the man d conclusion the expulsion from the garden by means of such plain and beautiful analyses the narratives gain in clearness that is in the prerequisite of all aesthetic charm the whole is analyzed into divisions and subdivisions which are themselves easily grasped and the relation of which to one another is perfectly plain and these outlines are never painfully forced but seem to have come quite as a matter of course from the nature of the subject consider for instance in the story of eden how perfectly the outline corresponds to the contents in the fall the order is serpent woman man the examination begins with the last result and reverses the process the order here being man woman serpent the punishment falls first upon the chief sinner and accordingly the original order is here resumed serpent woman man hence the modern reader is advised to heed the systematic arrangement of parts since the analysis will at the same time give him the course of the action furthermore the narrator of the legend unlike the modern novelist could not expect his hearers to be interested in many persons at once but on the contrary he always introduces to us a very small number of course the minimum is two because it takes at least two to make a complication of interests such are the cases of the separation of abraham and lot of esau's sale of his birthright and the story of penuel there are three personages in the story of the creation of the woman god the man and the woman in the story of cain's fratricide god cain and abel in the story of lot in the cave and of the sacrifice of isaac 
there are four in the story of eden of abraham's journey into egypt of hagar's flight of the deception practiced upon isaac by jacob there are indeed narratives in which more personages take part as in the case of the detailed story of the suit for the hand of rebecca and especially in the stories of the twelve sons of jacob yet even here the narrators have not been neglectful of clearness and distinctness in very many cases where a number of persons appear the many are treated as one they think and wish the same things and act all alike thus in the story of the flood and of the tower of babel all mankind are treated as one person so also with the brothers shem and japhet with the three men at hebron and at sodom according to the original version of the story lot's son-in-law at sodom the courtiers of pharaoh the citizens of shechem genesis chapter thirty four verse twenty four the brothers of dinah chapter thirty four verse twenty five the citizens of temnah chapter thirty eight verse twenty four and in many other cases this is in accord with the conditions of antiquity in which the individual was much less sharply distinguished from the mass of the people than in modern times at the same time however this condensation of several persons into one is due to the inability of the narrator to catch and depict the actual distinctions among individuals how limited in those days the capacity of even an artistically developed narrator to depict character is shown in the conspicuous instance of the story of joseph the narrative presents joseph and the eleven in conflict among the others the story distinguishes joseph's full brother benjamin the youngest of the remaining ten reuben judah is recognized separately but this is the extent of the narrator's power to characterize the remaining nine lack all individuality they are simply the brothers further simplicity is attained by means of the arrangement of parts which as we have noted resolves the story into a number of little scenes and in these scenes it is rare that all the persons of the story appear at once but only a few usually only two are shown us at once compare the scenes of the story of the suit for rebecca the first scene shows abraham and his servant the second shows the servant alone on the journey and at the well the third the servant and the maiden the fourth the maiden and her family the fifth and principal scene shows the servant together with the maiden in her home the sixth the servant returning home with the maiden the last their arrival at the tent of isaac or another instance the story of the exile of ishmael chapter twenty four verse four and following shows in succession sarah hearing the laughter of ishmael and persuading abraham abraham expelling hagar then hagar alone in the wilderness with the child and finally her rescue by the angel 
the story of jacob's deception chapter twenty seven treats first of isaac and esau then of rebekah and jacob next of jacob before isaac and of esau before isaac of esau's hatred of jacob and finally of rebekah's advice to jacob the narrative takes especial pains to motivate this succession of scenes and yet it does not hesitate to simply drop a personage on occasion as in the case of the serpent after the temptation or of rebekah after the death of isaac by means of this analysis the narrative gains great clearness the hearer is not constrained to keep a confusing group of people in view but he sees them in succession thus he has time to inspect them at leisure and to familiarize himself with them only once at the climax of the action do all the persons appear together thus in the story of eden in that of noah's drunkenness and in the story of joseph at the close but even here the narrators considered grouping necessary they would not have been able to conduct a conversation between a number of persons at once thus at the end of the story of eden god does not reprove all the participants in one common address but he turns first to the serpent then to the woman then to the man and elsewhere also it is the nature of the style to divide up the conversation into so many dialogues chief and subordinate personages the survey of the various personages is further facilitated by a very distinct separation of leading and subordinate parts the hearer does not have to ask many questions to learn which of the personages should receive his especial attention the narrator makes this very plain to him simply by speaking most of the chief personage thus in most of the legends of the patriarchs the patriarchs themselves are as a matter of course the chief personages in the following cases the personages of their respective stories are arranged in the order in which they interest the narrator cain abel abraham sarah pharaoh genesis chapter twelve verses ten through twenty abraham lot hagar sarah abraham chapter sixteen the servant and rebecca are the chief personages in chapter twenty four the other being all of second rank in chapter twenty seven the chief personages are jacob and esau while the parents are secondary in the story of jacob and laban these are the chief personages the women secondary in this classification sympathy and veneration are not to be confused with interest the artistic interest of the narrator is greater in cain than in abel in hagar than in sarah in chapter twenty four the servant is the chief personage while abraham has only a subordinate part in many cases it is the destinies of a single leading personage that we pursue noticeably in the case of the stories of joseph description of characters 
in attempting to discover the method by which the characters are depicted we are first struck by the brevity with which subordinate personages are treated modern literary creations have accustomed us to expect that every personage introduced be characterized if possible with at least a few touches as an independent individual the method of the primitive saga man is entirely different the personages whom he considers altogether or temporarily subordinate receive little or no characterization in view of the primitive feeling on the subject it is a matter of course that not much attention was paid to slaves the attendants of esau chapter thirty two and following or of laban chapter thirty one verse twenty three are introduced merely to show their master's importance and have no further significance the narrators did not even consider it necessary to mention the sin of the two chamberlains of pharaoh chapter forty one verse one or the feelings of dinah chapter thirty four or those of sarah on the journey to egypt chapter twelve verse ten and following hira the friend of judah chapter thirty eight verses one twelve and twenty is not characterized the sin of er chapter thirty seven verse seven is not specified nothing is told of shua the wife of judah chapter thirty eight verses two through twelve that is really characteristic the same is true of joseph's steward chapter forty three verse sixteen of potiphar and others and even the characterization of the chief personages is remarkably brief according to our notions only a few traits are ascribed to them often but one cain is jealous of his brother canaan is shameless shem and japhet respectful in the story of the separation of lot and abraham the former is greedy the latter conciliatory in the story of hebron abraham is hospitable and in the migration he is obedient to the will of god in the story of penuel jacob is strong and brave in the affair with esau he is crafty in the story of joseph he is fond of the children of rachel in the somewhat complex story of the fall the serpent is crafty and evil the man and the woman are guileless as children the woman is fond of dainties and gullible the man follows his wife even in the case of god each individual story as a rule speaks of but one single quality in most of the legends he is a gracious helper in others as the stories of paradise and babel he is the lofty sovereign whose concern is to keep men within bounds we are struck by this paucity in the legends since we are familiar in modern compositions with portraits made up of many separate traits and painted with artistic detail the art of the primitive storytellers is very different true it is based upon the actual conditions of primitive ages in one respect the men of antiquity were in general more simple than the many-sided men of modern times 
yet it would be an error to suppose that men in those earlier days were as simple as they are represented to be in the legends compare in evidence of this the character sketches of a somewhat maturer art in the second book of samuel with this example in mind we shall recognize also that there is some other ground for the brevity of the legends of genesis than that abbreviation of the real which is inevitable in every artistic reproduction of life End of chapter three part one